Hey you, letter lover. Wanna discover the holy grail of lettering, take a vow of loyalty to beautiful letter forms, and set yourself up for success? Then join my free training, The Ten Commandments of Lettering. It's totally for free for a limited time. Head to martinaflor.com slash commandments of lettering. See you there. Uno, dos, tres. Welcome everybody to Letter Now, a podcast where we nurture the creatives, illustrators, designers, and makers of tomorrow today. My name is Martina Flora. I'm a lettering artist, author, educator, and the host of the show. And today I have a great guest to talk about the power of learning, the power of making, and the power of teaching. In today's show, I love to explore the intersections of these three. And to discuss all of this, I have Maria Montes with me. Maria is a Barcelona-born, NARM-based, multilingual, multicultural lettering designer and illustrator specialized in branding assets and calligraphy education. Originally from Catalonia, Maria moved to Australia in 2006, where she currently lives. Montes created practices set by the principles of never stop learning, sharing knowledge, and creating emotion through her work. Hi, Maria. So good to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. Very good. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Amazing, Maria. I'm so happy to have you here today. And we have so many things to talk. I have so many notes and so many questions to ask about your journey. So, um, And I invited you today to discuss this topic because I see all of these themes, the themes of learning and teaching and making and sharing, showing up in your artistic path and you know you teach you are you also dedicated a lot of time to learning and of course yes. to making through your lettering practice so how do you think that you know all of these things come together in your life and in your creative path mm. it's been really organic for me I never really planned that it was going to be this combination I definitely have to say I love being a student all my life. I love learning. I was always really sad when I was a little kid, when the school finished, you know, and then you had the three or two months summer break. I was always really sad that the last day of school. And then later on in my career, every time I studied something was for me, I mean, a study for me was the biggest motivation. It was the thing that really gave me this fire So being a student, I guess it was like all this inspiration and motivation by being in the classroom, by being with other students. I think probably teachers after your mom and dad are probably the biggest people, mm -hmm. especially if you have had good ones and especially if you have had bad ones, mm -hmm. because you can remember a lot of experience from having a bad teacher or having a great teacher because it's almost like a second parent in a way. And for me, this has always been a really strong motor of, I don't know, of making and being inspired. And so I never thought of teaching, but they asked me. Mm. And they asked me in a time that I was in a, yeah, I was in a time of deep transformation. And mm. when someone asked, a few people asked me to teach was in Australia and I never, I had never taught before, and especially not in English, because my background is Catalan and Spanish. And I thought teaching, 
But then the first day that I taught my first class, which was funny because it was um, four hours of teaching for $20, including lunch. So even if you hate the class, you will come for lunch, you know, because it was so affordable. That day when I finished my class, I, I just discovered that that was something I was meant to do. So it's been seven years since. Hmm. And you mentioned that you had great teachers and you had bad teachers. So I wonder what, what are the things you remember the most from both? Like, what are the things that you said, like, okay, this, this made a great teacher and this really made a bad teacher or this is something I really don't want to model in yeah. my life and in the way I share knowledge with others. Yeah, I think a great teacher for me has been someone that has walked and has showed me where I can go and what my potential is and has given me this confidence that there is a lot of things for me to offer mm -hmm. and that I have a lot of potential, a sense of like hope and a sense of like positivity. A bad teacher for me has been someone that in the way how they have critiqued my work, have made me maybe ashamed, mm. have made me wanting to drop what I was doing. Mm. So this feeling of like, instead of feeling challenged or feeling that I want to keep learning more, it's made me feel the, the opposite. So when I talk to my students about self-critique, I always tell them it's a very fun line. And this is not uh, talking about me critiquing them, mm. it's about themselves critiquing themselves so mm -hmm. is their internal voice i always say there is a really fun line between one thing is a productive self-evaluation where you enjoy the process and you understand that you want to get better and you know what's a great work and you know that you are not there yet but you see the gap and you want to keep reaching to get better mm. but the other self-critique It's the internal voice of like, this is not good. I'm never going to get better. Mm -hmm. This is never going to be good enough. I'm not good. I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. So there is a really fine line between how you internalize this voice that you have in your head, which is like, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to get there and I have mm -hmm. to enjoy the process versus the other internal voice, which is like the moment you do something, even the first line you're already telling yourself, this is rubbish. This is not good enough. I'm not good enough. Uh, I'm never going to get there. And so both of them is a way of self-evaluating what you are doing, but there are very different outcomes from this um, critique. Mm. So the word critique, I always take it with very delicate because I know some people might react to feedback positively and other people can react to feedback very self-judging so I think the good and bad teachers for me have created these different um, responses from me the one that is pushing me to become better or the one that has made me almost wanting to drop my tools go home and I stay there and not leave the house for a few days <laughs> yeah and I love what you said about hope and positivity yeah. I think there is something yeah. about like saying to yourself or 
self-evaluating and saying to, yeah. to yourself, I'm not there yet, but I will yeah. get there. And there's something exactly. really exciting about that is, you know, I think that going back to what you said before, that you always felt very motivated by learning. And I think yeah. that finding the right teachers and finding like the right topic is like the perfect combination that gives you that hope, like that yes. makes you feel like, I can do this, you know, I, yes. perhaps I cannot do it yet, but I will get there. And exactly. And I think this is, this is really powerful about learning. Um, and yes. I think it's, it's important to understand these these factors to it, right? Like that, um, you need to also be surrounded by the right people in a way and yes. to learn from the right people. And this really connects us with the With the next question, I would like, you know, you know, this is a listener driven show, Maria. So I want to, um, you know, I want to really hear your stories and your experiences as we go down the questions of our listeners today. So we will start with messages coming from social media. You can send us your questions through my Instagram account at martinaflor or send me your voice memos with questions and comments by simply going to martinaflor.com slash voice message or email your voice memo to podcast at martinaflor.com. Our first question is coming from Lea uh, Maria and it's related to what we were just speaking about. How do you find the right people and sources to learn from is Lea asking. And I really get the question from Lea because With all the information overwhelmed that we experience nowadays, it's really hard to understand what is an effective way of learning. And it's really hard also to, to sort of filter through the clutter of information and understand what's reliable information and what is not. And I really w want to pass it to you now. And I know that learning had a a really big impact in your career. In my research for this podcast, I was um, kind of reading through, you know, what your creative path was and where did you start it and how the things moved in your life as a designer and as an artist. Um, and I want to, you know, I know that at some point you had a career shift or you pivoted careers, right? You you're initially trained as a designer and correct me if I'm wrong later on. Um, so I, you're initially trained as a designer and at some point you decided that you wanted to follow the, you know, to study typography or letter design, right? And I am really interested to understand first, like what were the cues that you saw in your work and interests that you know, that steered your attention towards typography and made you say, hey, th I think this is, this is it. I think this is something I could be good at or I'm interested in. So first, I really want to know what, you know, what, what the skills were for you. And a follow-up question to that would be like, once you identify the theme and the discipline, how did you go about choosing what were your reliable sources? What were the next steps? What were you, you know, where would you learn that? Will you go to learn that? Yeah. Okay. Great question. <laughs> Because that was very difficult at that point when I had to decide. Yes. So I studied graphic design and I worked as a digital graphic designer for 11 years over 10 years yeah and so at the end of this 10 year gap in 2010 
I felt like I was stuck. I guess stuck slash burnt out mm. of my graphic design practice. And at that time I was in Australia already. I, uh, I was working for a small design studio and I felt like I was losing all my passion and I, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I was designing a stationary design every day and it felt like really mechanical work. Um, mm. So I thought I have two options. One is forget my creative career completely. And the other one is try to find a specialization. Mm -hmm. And thinking about the specializing in graphic design, I felt like, what do I feel weak in? Like, what are the skills I would like to be stronger that I don't have? And the first thing was typography. I thought I want to know more about type and I don't have enough knowledge. The second thing is illustration. I was always really jealous of people who could draw really well. Hmm. So I had these two things. And for me, were really big things. Like it took me months to decide which one I wanted the most. And, and, and it was really difficult at that time because I kept making lists and both lists were really equal. <laughs> and so at the, end of last, at the end of that year, I decided that I was going to do type because if I could learn something on my own, maybe it could be illustration. Mm. But I thought I could not learn on my own so much about typography and, and, and designing type. So I ended up choosing that path. Then once I chose the path, it was about where. And I was in Australia and I was thinking that my university also had a postgraduate course and master's degree course in advanced typography. And I knew one of the teachers very well because he's a very good friend of mine, Laura Mesege. Mm -hmm. And I decided, okay, it's the perfect opportunity for me to go back to my hometown, spend six months in Barcelona, visit my parents, visit my friends, and specialize in typography. So it was sort of like, you know, ticked so many boxes for me. And then I thought, okay, let's do it. So I went back to Barcelona and did it. And the course was great for me. It, it was like exactly what I needed it. Like mm. I found all this fire again for me mm. through studying. And the funny thing is that later on, the first job after this post-graduated course in, in advanced typography was actually a textile design job. Mm. So nothing related to typography, mm. but I needed work at that point. And the, this project was really interesting. And I thought, well, I don't know how to illustrate, but I can give it a try. So I said yes to the job and I started to illustrate every day for two years. Mm. And so organically, two years later, after my postgrad and the textile design work, I'm in a situation where I know about typography, I know about lettering, I know about calligraphy, and then I know about illustrating because mm. I just spent 12 hours a day for two years designing textiles. So these two things that I was so obsessed about in 2010, in 2013 were a reality. Both of them, the skills wow. really strong. So I think it's about putting a lot of energy into the, the universe, you know, and then it comes back to you in a way that you will never expect. That's so interesting because you sort of, from that time, you made those two lists from, okay, yes. 
am I interested in typography? How much am I interested in typography? Then you made a list of how much am I interested in illustrator in illustration? And then you decided to go for one of them. But nevertheless, and you really digged into a master course. So you really went to train yourself and you focused on that for a long time. But you ended up also learning the other part, like the illustration part, through other another experience, which wasn't necessarily like following a master course in illustration. No. Um, so that's interesting how with with one of the disciplines you follow like the kind of academic path and kind of learning like the traditional way of learning and how with the other one you learn through making and kind of training yourself through your job right yes the other one was myself locked in my bedroom for two years with google and youtube and it's the first time i learned something as a self-taught it's my first experience away from the academic pathway every other thing i learned it's been the same pathway. So this was the first time I was doing it on my own. And it was incredible, the experience as well. Like really different, but incredible. So I think both ways are incredibly good. In which um, sense do you feel that it was different? Um, because I'm just trying to think a little bit of the question from Leah, uh, thinking like, okay, how can I how can I understand what's my best path forward to learn something and how yeah. can I, you know, filter the clutter that is out there. So I wonder in which way were different these experiences of like, you know, studying letter design in an academic institution and studying or learning um, illustration, um, self-thought. Um, the academic pathway, it's more like I mean, this is true and not true, but let's say in an easy way to explain this, you are fed. Someone is giving you with a spoon hmm. food and you are sitting there and getting the information. Now, you can be passive or active. If you are passive getting this information, it's going to take a long time for you to digest it. Hmm. If you are active getting fed, you are going to learn really fast because you have all the tools and all the people there to answer questions. That means you have to ask questions. Mm. And in my personal opinion, for in order for you to have questions, you have to study. Mm. Because if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know and you cannot ask so many questions. Mm. So if you are an active student, uh, you will have the opportunity of asking a lot of things because you have someone in front of you to answer your questions. Mm. Also, you have a community, which is fantastic because you will have so many things in common with classmates, with other people that are studying the same as you, that you can get cross collaborations, you can get you know, it's like contagious, this vibe of a classroom of learning, of of the hope that you talked about before, of the dreaming of like, I want to get there. I, I see myself there. Mm -hmm. And you have people around you to keep, keep the momentum. Mm -hmm. um, if you are self-taught, you're going to learn slower because mm -hmm. no one is feeding you the food to learn. You have to find your own ways. Some people have the personality very specific for self-learning. Mm. And these people will have a great time because mm. they don't feel like 
I want someone to tell me how to learn or how to do it in this way. I want to find out in my own way. I want to figure it out. And this is depending on your personality. For me, self-taught pro- a self-taught process was painful because I had the real commissions with real deadlines and I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how to do the real commission. So it was under a massive pressure, which sometimes is a good thing because it's the only way you need to push yourself, you know, and kick your ass a bit. Um, but I I learned slower, but what I learned is stick to me in a way it will never leave me hmm. because I learned it in my own way by making mistakes or by uh, having to answer questions in a way that I was just constantly being active and mm. looking for the answers. So the way how I learned how to illustrate is also not influenced by any school of thought because I wasn't looking at any masters. I was literally Googling techniques, how to get it done, how to get it done in this way, in that way. But it wasn't maybe following someone else's great work. Mm. And so in a way... I was just doing what was coming out of my own mind and body. Um, but definitely was a slower process. So sometimes it was stressful because I had something to do in three days and I was Googling and YouTubing how to do this, how to do that. Then I was freaking out half of the time. <laughs> and it's really interesting because I feel that in both you know, you mentioned that in the academic, I love this uh, analogy of like being fed and like, yeah. like hunting for your food <laughs> and yeah. like in the academic way or like, you know, signing up for a certain learning path, call it academic, call it in- institution, call it online course, call it whatever yeah. you want. Um, so in this framework, you are being, being fed and you have this um, community around you. You have a certain space and time also to learn, right? It's not, there's a deadline, right, to that. Yes. Whereas in self-thought, in, you are kind of, you know, looking for the information yourself and you don't have a deadline, right? So it the process can be slower because you're missing that accountability that the the academic way or, you know, signing up for a certain time period to learn something gives you, right? And I feel that even in your self-thought path, you actually had some sort of accountability because you had this client of yours. Exactly. Who who was kind of telling you like, hey, okay, we need to do this and we need to do it like in the next week. (laughs) There's no like, well, you will figure it out at some point. So I think that's, actually something also important from that to remember that there there needs to be some sort of accountability there I always I always say that to my students and to other creatives that there needs to be some sort of deadline to whatever you want to accomplish otherwise you know it will always be like a work in progress right and absolutely you you will never feel that you got there even when you know you got there and it's not perfect it's not finish or whatever but it's done you you can sort of celebrate that right um so it's very interesting to see that even in both ways the self-thought and and the self the the academic way you still need that that component right the component of accountability and yes deadline 
Yeah, that's very important. Yes, I never thought about it until now you said it. Yes, if I didn't have the accountability part, I would have not learned half of what I've learned because if there is no, if you don't have to show up, if you don't have a limit of time, you can get very easily lost, very easily. Yeah, mm. yeah. And just just to go back to that question from Leah, I'm thinking, you know, you can choose any way you want, but you need to have that sort of accountability. I think that I, what I would recommend to them is to say like, hey, either I choose this way or that way. Uh, there's no guarantee of, of success in any of those but I do need this factor of accountability I do need a deadline I need I do need to have someone uh, or to have a commitment to accomplish this in a certain time frame uh, and in a certain manner right yes and I will add that even if you go to an through an academic path when you finish a course it's not the end of anything it's only the beginning hmm. So I think the mindset of like, I finished uni and now what? Well, you finish uni just to start learning about your career. So the finish of a course, it's only the beginning of what the path that you have chosen into. So it's your first step. So it's never like the end um, goal. It's, it's not an end goal of anything, but it's your starting point of taking things seriously. So from that end, it's up to you how you are going to keep po polishing and polishing because I, I am in my chapter number four of my student life. So I'm 43. I'm in my chapter number four and I'm always learning and I'm always a student. Every chapter of my life, I'm still a student because the learning is never, is, is never ending. So yeah. Yeah, and it's so so interesting because if we go back to what we were mentioning before about learning is that there's always hope to get better at something, right? There's always this is what keeps you motivated to continue doing things, which is, you know, I'm learning. I'm I'm getting there. I'm going to get there, yes. right? Um, so I want to move on to the next question from Akira, um, which has to do with, yeah, how to become a teacher. And the question is, how do you know you're a good fit to become a teacher? And this is a very valid question, I think, because I, I personally believe I'm also a teacher myself. And um, I personally believe that teaching implies certain responsibility and Reflecting back to the question, to the first question from Leah, um, the same way that it's hard to navigate the clutter of information, it is equally difficult to navigate the clutter of experts and gurus out there. Um, so, and also the good teachers and bad teachers that you were mentioning before, right? So it's hard to identify upfront whether this is going to be a good teacher for me or a bad teacher. Um, so when you teach, I would say that people will model something that you do or a certain approach that you have and you know I think the question is sensitive in sense of like okay am I ready to be modeled am I am I a good model to be modeled by other students so I know you have been teaching calligraphy for a long time Maria and um, I wanted to ask you like how did you come up with the idea of teaching and like I asked before about you know how do you discover what you wanted to learn 
And, you know, where were, what were the cues that you find in your work and your personal interests that led you to a certain discipline to continue learning and becoming an expert at that? What were the cues in your life and in your own creative path that told you, hey, I could teach, I could, you know, I think this is something I could do. Hmm. Okay. It's a bit of a long story. <laughs> yeah. We so, are here to listen to your story. So, okay. So I mentioned before that I was teaching, I was, sorry, I was designing textiles. So this was something I wasn't looking for either. So there is a series of accidents in my career that has been like very serendipitous, I think. So the textile design path was an accident, as in I wasn't looking actively, but I was approached by a friend of mine who is a very good fashion designer in Barcelona. And I said yes, because I needed work at that time and because I was very hungry for doing new things. And I just learned more about typography. And then this challenge came to my door and I said yes to it. Um, I was happy illustrating, very happy. Things were going really well. And we were collaborating with a company based in Inner Mongolia. Mm. And this company was producing, printing and producing uh, the textiles for really big companies. And everything was going really well. And then all of a sudden, the company emailed me and told me that, thank you so much for your work. We really appreciate everything you've done with us for the last two years, but we cannot keep you in the books. Oh. So thank you very much. And that was like the first weeks in January. Uh, and they told me, happy Chinese New Year and goodbye. That's wow. it. So it was like a three sentence email uh, which they say thank you and 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 goodbye. So it was a shock because I wasn't seeing that coming. Um, and the, my first reaction was like I need to move on into the next thing. And the next thing for me was like, well, I need a full time job as a either textile designer or graphic designer. But my partner told me at that point, you have been non-stop for so many years. You you should take a few a few weeks or mm. a few months of a break. And I never considered doing that, but I thought, okay, why not? Let's do it. So I took, I, I told myself, I'm gonna grab my savings and take six months off. Mm. And so in these six months of 2014, everything happened. Mm. So the idea of teaching just came because at that time I was working in a co-working studio mm. in Melbourne. And we were more than 40 designers there. And I was using calligraphy as a daily activity. So it wasn't something that I was using professionally, but I was using it for my own practice. Like before opening my laptop, I would grab my pens and start writing every day, just as, as when you go to the gym and you want to keep fit. Hmm. I realized calligraphy was making me feel more relaxed, was making me feel more I don't know, in a way, I, I felt connected to it because it brought, it brought me a lot of joy. Mm. So I thought, you know what, I don't know where is this coming, but I just don't want to let it go. Because I, I forgot about calligraphy for the last, for the first 10 years of my career. But when I went back to Barcelona to study type, I reconnected with calligraphy. And at that point, I realized I don't want to let it go. 
I don't mind if I'm not going to make money out of it, but I want to keep it as a, my personal development. So just doing calligraphy every day. And the other colleagues at my co-working space saw me every day and they asked me things like, what are you doing? But I thought, what? Like for me, it was so obvious because I was um, familiarized with calligraphy since 1996, which was my first year of my graphic design degree. So for me, it was obvious that was calligraphy, for, but for them, was they had never seen anyone doing it. And so I said, what do you mean? I'm writing. This is calligraphy, formal calligraphy. Oh, but but how many styles do you do? And I said, yeah, I do six styles. But can you teach us? And that was the first time someone actually asked me if I can teach. And I said, what? Teach you? Yeah, can you teach us? And I said, oh, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I cannot teach you in 10 minutes. Like, if you want to learn, we have to really schedule this and... And, and make it serious and they said okay and I said well if you really want to make it happen you need to grab a, a group of people and commit and tell me that you really want to do it and then we'll schedule the first class and I thought they will forget about it and no no after a few weeks there were 10 people and they said yeah we are 10 when do you want to do it and I thought oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> And so, yeah, I thought, okay. So this is real. It. This is happening. <laughs> and and I felt so bad, you know. I like to your to the question from social media to this person that asked, "How do you know that I'm ready?" I didn't know I was I was ready. I didn't know I could do it. I felt like maybe I cannot do it. It's going to be a disaster. So I'm going to cook really yummy food. Because if the class is a disaster, at least I'm going to feed them <laughs> and they will be happy. <laughs> so I cooked a really good Spanish meal because, you know, I'm in Australia. Everyone is going to love it no matter what. They cannot know if it's great or not because it's Spanish food in Australia. So I cooked a really good Spanish meal. And I thought even if the class is, is a disaster, the food will be amazing. And... The class was really good, I think, because everyone told me it was great. And then the food was great. So, and uh, I wonder, I like, know. it was more, in your cases, it was more like, I don't know if I can do it, but I accept the challenge. Like, it's, yes. you know, someone challenged you and said, like, hey, I want to yes. learn this. And you said, like, okay, I will do it. And and I want to ask you, like, what, what were the things you, you mentioned before in the beginning that... You know, this first class was important to you because you realized, like, I love doing this. Like, and you probably also realized that you had, there was something in you that was good at it, right? So I just want to ask you, like, what, what were, you know, what were the things that you felt after this, this first experience? And I think that this might help our listeners because someone, someone hearing your story or the way you identify you know, oftentimes we wonder if we are good at something and we wonder if we, um, if we should follow a certain path. And it's hard to realize what are the cues and the signs that we should listen to. And I think by hearing what were the signs for you, I think it might give us an idea of what are the things we should be looking at when we do something. Um, because 
most of the times we don't know if we are really good at something. We need to try it. And as you did, accept a certain challenge and try ourselves at that. And when you do it, you can pay attention to certain things that give you the hint that you could continue down this path or that you are good at it or that you have a certain talent for that. So I wonder what, what did you feel? What, what were the things that came up for you after this first workshop, this first class that you taught, um, this calligraphy class? What are the things that I realized? I realized I'm very funny and I didn't know that. <laughs> I could explain That always helps when, you, when you're teaching. That always helps, right? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that there is a performance part in teaching. As in, somehow you need to have a personality that is, I guess, engaging. Um, I feel you have to be very... You have to have high levels of empathy. Hmm. You have to always remember how it's been on the other side. Because I have been a student so many years and it's easy to forget when you are teaching that how do a beginner feels on the other side? Because you are somehow sometimes teaching things that for you are very easy just because you have been doing them for such a long time. And being on the other side is really scary sometimes. Some people feel a huge pressure on themselves mm. by doing a great job. Um, I sometimes feel that social media has given this impression that things are a lot easier than what they are in reality. And especially with, well, you will know very well with lettering. Um, maybe people have expectations that they are going to get there a lot easier and quicker and actually, it's a lot of work. It's mm. hard work and, and, and a lot of love for the profession because I feel like passion. I used to say passion. I still love the word passion, but I, I listened to someone recently saying passion is something that comes and goes or something that comes for a little bit of time and then it goes. Like, you know, when you have a fresh relationship, mm. you have this passion but love is a very long journey. Hmm. And I, it made me reflect a lot about my trajectory and my career because, yeah, it's not passion. I mean, it is, but it is love. Hmm. It is a love because it's been many years now. It's been 21 years of trajectory. And so it's not just the passion of the fresh first years. It's a very big love and respect for, for, this, uh, for this career. So... When you are on the other side, sometimes you're scared. Sometimes you are surprised because it's a lot harder. Sometimes you don't understand, but you don't want to ask questions. So I think having high levels of empathy always makes you put yourself into the other person's seat. And, and my in my case, I am very approachable. I make sure everyone is going to ask every type of question because there is no stupid questions, never. There is never a stupid question. Um, I make it as entertaining as possible, but at the same time, I make sure that they get real value, deep learning, uh, introduce historical contexts as well, because I find it very important that someone understands why things are like that and not only just copy 
the, the look and feel of something without mm. understanding why looks like that and a lot of times is related to technological advancements so i try to give them an overview now the question was how do i know that i was good at teaching yeah yeah i think i mean for some people teaching can be very draining and for some people can be the opposite. And I have experienced both. So in case that someone listening is considering teaching, I want to explain both situations that have happened to me. I feel like it's very different if you teach in an institution like a university where students come to you without them choosing the subject to learn. So it's part of the program, it's a compulsory subject, and you are teaching something that they might like or they might don't care. And so in an environment like that, uh, you might find that out of 20 people, maybe three people are very engaged. Mm. And the rest is like, whatever, I don't care. Because I have been there. I have been at my first year at university and some classes. I thought, whatever, I don't care. Mm. Uh, also, I was young. I was 18 or 19, and I didn't understand so much about the importance of what I'm learning, maybe. Now, it's very different when you teach independently, and the people who are there are people that are really hungry for learning, really motivated already. You don't need to motivate them because they are already very motivated, and they are in front of you, ready to go. And so... Um, the level of engagement is higher and um, you, you feel that there is more a dialogue. So you give a lot and you receive a lot. Where in an institution where maybe not everyone is there to be interested in lettering or letter forms in general, you give a lot and you receive, receive nearly nothing. Mm. So the experience after teaching a three-hour class where you get very little is very different to teaching a three-hour class where everyone is there and you're running late, but no one is moving, no one is leaving. You maybe want to extend the class 30 more minutes because you have more to say and no one is in a rush because everyone is like, I'm here to learn. And if you want to give us 30 more minutes of your time, this is amazing. So my experience teaching for the first time, I felt really happy after the class. I felt energized. I had more energy than before starting the class. Mm. I was in a better mood than before starting the class. And it made me realize that there is something inside me that helping other people to learn and to grow and to flourish is a purpose in my life that I didn't discover till the first day that I taught. So for me, it's purpose. Yeah. yeah and I think it's so interesting from what you said that, you know, you as a teacher you also need to choose your students in a way you know you need to choose who is the people who want to learn from you right and I can totally relate to what you just said um, about you know teaching to different profiles of students or in different yeah. contexts right like I recently also had an experience or I, I actually um, run workshops um, in different uh, universities here in Germany and whereas when I came to Germany, this seemed like a milestone to me. I, it, I felt like if I ever, if I'm ever able to teach in a German university, this would be a great milestone for me. And I remember that the last time I, 
I engaged in a course in a, in, or I was a teacher at, at the university, I felt trained. Like I didn't feel how I felt in my own workshops. And I understood that a, these are not my students. This, you know, they are not really interested in what I have to say. And I don't really need this because I do have my good students back in my studio where I run my private workshop. So um, I don't need this milestone because I have a much better milestone back there, right? So um, it's interesting that that you as a, you know, before we were speaking about choosing your teachers to, you know, identifying what your teachers are and what, who do you want to learn from? At the same time, the teacher needs to choose you as well, right? And be, you know, if they choose you, then you have that um, empathy um, coming back to you and you get someone that is approachable. All the things you were mentioning before, you have someone that is, you know, fun to learn from. You have someone that is really loving what they do. Um, so I love this, these two sides of the, the experience of learning, which is, you know, you need to choose who you're learning from, but the other person needs to choose you as well and needs to be really engaged in that and get value from that interaction as well. Yes. So I want to move on to our story time section, Maria, now. And Maria, you know we all love stories. And in this section, we want to go beyond the perfectly curated lives that we normally share on social media. So we want to allow a space for real stories. And we want to hear about your biggest challenge or the biggest challenge you experienced as an artist and how that impacted your work and career. Is there any story that you would like to share with us? Yes, I'm going to share two, if that's okay. Yes. Yeah. One is a funny one, and the other one is not so funny, but very important too. <laughs> um, okay, so challenges. Yeah, many. I mean, many. But I'm going to choose two that are pretty big, I think. The first one is when I moved to Australia. So the reason why I came here is because... I was working in Barcelona as a graphic designer and I was surrounded by a group of other graphic designers. And I worked with um, two German designers, one Italian designer, one French designer, and my art director from Argentina. And all these people spoke their native languages plus Spanish plus English, and they understood Catalan. So in that environment, I felt really, I felt in a disadvantage. I mean, I was in my own city in Barcelona, but I felt like all these people have so many tools and I don't have them. And, and there was a designer in the studio from Germany that spent one year in Sydney and she could not stop talk, talking about Sydney all the time. And in the end, I thought, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm going to go to Sydney. That's it. <laughs> so... The reason why I chose Sydney or, or, well, I didn't go to Sydney in the end, but I went to Australia. Uh, the reason why I chose Australia is because I thought if I go to London, I'm going to feel alone and very homesick and I'm going to fly back to Barcelona the third weekend. Mm. Like I was so scared of being alone and, and homesick 
that London or Europe in general wasn't in my plans. So I thought if I go to Australia, it's so far away and it's going to cost me so much money, the, the air ticket, that even if I'm completely alone and miserable and desperate, I cannot go back to Barcelona because it's too expensive of an exercise. So I'm going to stay there. And so when I arrived in here, uh, I had very, very little English, very little English. Uh, and I didn't know anyone and I didn't have any friends. Um, so I arrived, the taxi driver took me to my house and he spoke to me for 45 minutes. I couldn't understand anything he said. I thought, now no one knows me. I don't have a telephone number. If this guy wants to, you know, kill me, no one is going to ever find out because <laughs> I'm alone. I cannot speak anything. And this guy is talking to me for 45 minutes. I have no idea where he's taking me. Like I felt like so powerless. Mm -hmm. And so he obviously didn't do anything, but he actually did everything right. So he took me to the place he had to take me. And the next day I went to my English school, my first day at school. And in there, I only... My, my, my very big target that day was like, I needed to drink a coffee, you know? And so I asked uh, at school, like, how do I ask for a coffee? And, and they told me, and, and I, I thought I memorized what I had to ask for, which in Australia is called a flat white, which is mm -hmm. coffee with milk. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I can do it. And then I went to the coffee shop and I was so nervous that day that when I had to ask for the coffee, I was blank completely. And the guy, the bartender looking at me like, what do you want? What do you want? And the only thing that came out of my mouth was I want a flatmate. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. In a coffee shop. And, and I, I didn't even realize what I said. And the guy's like, we don't have this here. And I'm like, what? You, yes, you do have coffee. This is a coffee shop. And I didn't even realize I'm asking for a flatmate. And then when I realized that, I was like so embarrassed. Um, and obviously then I asked for the right thing, which is a flat white. And the guy obviously said, yes, we do have this. And, and I, I'm doing it for you now. So that first day in a country so far away from home and not knowing anything and not having anyone to go to, told me about like how brave sometimes you need to go to mm -hmm. to be to take decisions that you have absolutely no control of the outcome mm -hmm. and for me this was a big moment where it's like I don't think I have never felt myself so vulnerable mm -hmm. like there was nothing around me that I could control I couldn't control the environment and so I think the first year and maybe the first two years were very challenging, but this experience in Australia has taught me so many things about myself. So for me, I think the path into learning currently now, nowadays, I'm realizing that everything I have been learning from other people and then also from teaching, so from my students, what I'm learning from my students towards me and now is, the, is how to understand myself 
and how to understand why I took all the decisions I took that have taken me till the day that I am here today talking to you. So I'm now in this path of understanding myself and collecting data about my decisions Mm -hmm. and how everything has been happening for me in a way that now feels so organic, but in so many ways, in so many times, there was no organic. You know, it felt so forced, like me being in Australia, not understanding people, not knowing where to go, not understanding how to talk to a guy to ask for a coffee, being sick and not telling the doctor what the symptoms are. Nothing of that felt organic at that point. But in the long run, it's been a huge impact on myself as a person. And of course, that is reflected then on my work because a lot of my work is personal practice, is not client-based. So my personal work is a response to my life. And so that scary step, which was coming here, has turned so many positives in my career, so many. So I'm, yeah, I'm currently collecting data about myself and learning how to be my best friend. That's my last two years of personal journey. Thank you so much for sharing those stories. I think that, you know, understanding that, you know, you have gone through challenges in your own path as a creative and also seeing what came on the other side of that, right? Because oftentimes we are in the middle of the thing and it's hard to see, you know, what's the outcome after that. And it's, it's interesting to hear the stories once they happened and see, you know, what were you feeling in the moment it was happening and what came um, after that, right? It's interesting to see what were the consequences, which are not always negative and are or not always you know they're not dark as we tend to see them when you are, we are going through that moment right so thank you so much for sharing those stories Marianne with this we're gonna wrap up this episode um so this was the end of our show I wanted to thank you Maria for being here again and I want to ask you like where can people find you Uh, Yes, they can find me on my website, mariamontes.net. And they can find me on social media, on Instagram at I am Maria Montes. Perfect. So I will add all of this to uh, our show notes so that people can find you. And I also wanted to ask you about your, um, your online classes, because I know that through this period of the pandemic, you continue teaching calligraphy, perhaps not in person, but you do, you run these online trainings. And I wanted to ask you, like, where can people find your online trainings in calligraphy? Uh, yes, if you go to my website, you'll find their um, online classes. And yes, thanks to COVID, one of the good things, little good things about COVID is that it has forced me to transition online. And I started one year ago. And I mean, this is going to sound like a hard sell, <laughs> but believe me, it's not. Um, it's not a hard sell, is I honestly believe that the online learning is actually something that is very beneficial. Like I have experienced teaching in person for seven years and now teaching online for one year. And I truly believe that teaching online has 
even greater value mm. than teaching in person for so many reasons. Maybe calligraphy is special for that, but yeah, I have found that online provides even greater value than in person. So I'm very happy about finding this out because I didn't believe that until I myself became a student and I signed up for two courses online to test it myself. Uh, and then I realized it's actually great. So then I jumped into teaching. So my next course is next month in November. And yeah, I'll be doing four weeks of introduction to corporate plate calligraphy. Yeah, and Maria is great at teaching. And I'm sure that this is, and also cover plate calligraphy is super interesting for anyone who really wants to um, get their hands onto calligraphy for the first time, but those that already have been experiencing with it and they want to specialize in, in cover plate calligraphy, this is a great chance. So um, I will add this as well to our show notes so that people can find your online courses. And lastly, what what would you say to someone that is studying right now, Maria, to, to wrap up our episode today? Okay. Um, I'm going to say a few things. So the first thing is there is a really, really good talk that you should, everyone should Google this if you're a graphic designer. <laughs> um Uh, it's a creative morning talk by Debbie Millman called The Top 10 Things I Wish I Knew When I Graduated College. And if you are a graphic designer or a designer in general, you should totally listen to this talk because it's gold. It's pure gold. Uh, the next thing I would say is please find a mentor. Find someone that you really feel aligned to find someone that you admire but it doesn't have to be only for the great work that they do but for the lifestyle maybe their perspectives or maybe the way how they talk about sociopolitical views you know someone that you really connect or someone that you can feel that is that is representing you because i feel like when i was growing up or at university there was a lot of male figures and not so many females. And I felt like for me, representation very much matters and finding female leaders, it's very, very key to the development of women. So in my case, when I found Alphabets, the, um, the community, the, type, the international type community that was made a huge impact on myself because I could see what my own path could look like in a few years, because there were leaders there talking about type, talking about letter forms and leading the way that I didn't know anyone around me in the same way. And also I am someone that don't want kids personally. So I am always trying to look for people who are leading the way in the same lifestyle as I have chosen for myself. So finding representation very much matters in the industry. So find a mentor, listen to that podcast. Mm, maybe, yeah, I would say that in my experience, I have learned a lot from my mistakes maybe more than from my victories. So if you are starting out in this journey, don't be too afraid of making mistakes because a lot of the times your mistakes is actually what is going to teach you the most. Mm -hmm. 
and and especially if you are starting i think you have to be curious and you have to try many things to then realize what things work and what things don't work for you um and 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 a lot of the path is going to be maybe unlearning some things you know mm-hmm. so you spend many years learning and some of these things will be then later on unlearning that skill so it's a lot of trial and error um so i'm gonna say this is a good start yeah <laughs> thank you so much maria for today's conversation and this is it for everyone listening you can find me the host of this show on social networks at martina flor on instagram twitter and facebook if you have a question or comments go to martinaflor.com slash podcast where you can see previous episodes you can find show notes and send voice memos with your comments and questions you can also watch these episodes on youtube just go to martinaflor.com slash youtube to find them you can of course listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform this is it for today if you love this episode subscribe to this podcast and if you leave us a review it will help others find us Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Maria, for being there. And see you on the next episode of Letter Now. Bye-bye.